Blessings, this is Pastor Walter and Maribel Arias welcoming you to the podcast of God of Covenants Christian Center. We hope this time is a blessing for you. Make sure you subscribe to get new messages every week. Enjoy the message and embrace what the Lord has for you. This week, Pastor brings us the message titled, A Room for the King. Let us learn how Jesus was unknown, misunderstood, and rejected. Let's listen to the message, and may God bless you. Did you bring your Bible? Because we're going to read a lot today. <laughs> I want you to lift up your Bibles, please. Let me see. Very good. Very good. How good you are. Say to the person to your side, how good you're doing. Now, look and lift up your notebooks. Where you're going to write what you're going to learn. How good. How good. Say, even better. <laughs> Praise God. Now let us pray, please. Come, let's pray. Join me, good Father and good God. And this morning, we have been very appreciative, Lord, and we are that you allow us to come and worship you, that you have given us the grace to be here today. It's pure license of mercy that you give us, Lord. And we have been able not only to exalt you, but also to have the opportunity to receive your word, in which I ask, Lord, that all the congregants, you bless them, that you give them a heart that is ready and a mind that is understood. And for me, an opportunity by the Holy Spirit of the boldness to speak as it suits with grace in me. Bless those that are there in Mexico, in Dominican Republic, in Colombia, there in South America, wherever they tell us that they connect through the internet. Bless them as well in the name of Jesus. Amen. And... It's been a few months that we had the opportunity that we, with my family, went to Israel. And we had the blessing of staying in the hotel. We were in different cities. There was one in the city of Jerusalem, and its name was the King David Hotel. The King David Hotel. And it's in front of the ancient city of Jerusalem. The reception was beautiful, let me say. They were waiting for us. Everything was accommodated for us. Everything was perfect. The, the smell, the forms, it's an elegance. The service of excellence is great in everything. And there, presidents of all the world, ministers and people, celebrities come and where they stay. We have the blessing of being invited to come to this place. And I imagine that all these presidents, all these ministers of other countries and these celebrities, not only that what we receive with that they give with excellence, but for them, I think for them, it was reserved, perhaps some pomp, some honors, and assuredly, they had the opportunity to be in all the selection of restaurants that are in that hotel, but in those excellent things, we noticed, my, fam my family and I, we noticed something in the corridors of this place in the corridors, in one of the principal halls, something that for the famous people is there. And it's a type of tile, like the Hollywood, like like the in the Walk of Fame of Hollywood. And there what they have in that corridor is the signature of all the famous people, of all the great people, to say it in such a way, that have visited that hotel. And we saw all the signatures of Trump, of the family of Obama, of the Bushes, of celebrities, even of musical groups, all types of famous people that were there. Like saying, I stayed here, here I have a portion and a position. It was something very special, let me tell you. It was something very special. And I want us to read in the Gospel according to Luke, a very good portion, because I want you to bring, that's why I said to bring your Bible because we're going to have the opportunity to read it, because in chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke, we're going to read something. And why do I bring this as a connotation? It's because the Bible registers of a hotel in a small village called Bethlehem, where there was an opportunity to give an in to him that is for the ever and ever and was going to become man to be born in a place. And this little hotel in Bethlehem had the opportunity to receive the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and they didn't receive him. This little hotel, 
a place where people were coming, the inn, a small inn, and it's a small, like, motel. They had the opportunity, listen well, to receive the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to the eternal God, and they did not receive him. And in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20, it says the following. Let us read a good portion of this. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called how? Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And then read verse 7 in a loud voice, please. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, who? A Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, what did they say? Glory to God in the highest and on the earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. Verse 16. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe laying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And I want you to help me to make emphasis in verse 7, if you're so kind. And one, two, three. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the general information, the word there underlined firstborn is first. The Bible never says first if there's not a second or a third or a fourth. The Bible mentions only or you when there's only one. You never say my firstborn child if it's your only child. Even though he's the first, you don't say it if you don't have various ones. So I say it as a way of general information. It says here firstborn because Mary had more children, more sons and daughters than the Gospels registered. It's just that the majority of the people we hear, we never read it, and they never taught us that. It's not a sin to have many children. And Mary, it wasn't a sin. So I want to make emphasis on that. Even the preaching is not going there, but it's a general information. So Jesus Christ is the only Son of God. That's what the Bible says, that Jesus is the only Son. And when he says only... Is not that he was made from any woman because Jesus is a spirit before he became in a body and became man. So let us get into this with this portion. And let me retake this about the hotel. Not only in Jerusalem, but the small inn in Bethlehem that had an inn where they did not receive him that is the savior of the world. Amen? Can you imagine getting to this place like a 
principal uh, speaker invited, announced, waited for or expected and not find a room that is comfortable to arrive to and to be rejected? Can you imagine being the person that is expected for a long time and with a great propaganda? And when they you arrive, they tell you, who are you? And that there's no room. When Jesus, the Messiah, came to this world, for hundreds of years they had spoken of him. For many years they had spoken of Jesus. Many prophets had announced him. Many prophets had said details of his birth, of his arrival. God, the word made man. It was prophesied. So it wasn't something that was un not that was unknown, but it went like it was someone who was un unknown. It was not something that was not expected, but it was like they weren't ready for his arrival. When the Messiah arrived, he had been announced by many prophets. But when he arrived, he arrived as an unknown, misunderstood, and rejected person. Today's topic has as a title, A Room for the King. A Room for the King. And I want us to look this here. That's the hall, this picture that they're broadcasting on the church's screen of the Hotel King David in the city of Jerusalem. And those are the tiles that are separated for each one of the celebrities. That corridor is long. A room for the king. A room for the king that is unknown, misunderstood, and rejected. That is the topic of this morning. And I want us to get in there with the king that is unknown. And when we speak of the unknown king, Jesus has many qualities and many pro purposes and many titles. I'm going to limit myself to speaking of two things of him this morning. Jesus was unknown as the Messiah. And even for many today, he is still not the Messiah. There's great groups of Jewish people that Jesus that came is not the Messiah that is waited for. They're still waiting for someone. But the Bible registers to us all the things exactly of his birth, of his descendants, Exact things are registered in Jesus as a Messiah. He was unknown. And the word Messiah means the one that was sent. The one that they were announcing, the one that they were preaching about, of the one that they were speaking of, the Messiah, the one that was sent, was unknown for them. And the prophet Micah announced it. A prophet, one of the minor prophets. Uh, and you see in chapter 5, verse 2, it says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, what? What? The one to be ruler in Israel. Read it with me. And whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Micah, 750 years before Jesus became man. Before Jesus would be born on this land, the prophet Micah had spoken of his birth, where it was going to be and why it was going to be Bethlehem, because Bethlehem was the house of David and the house of David, the house of Bethlehem, the house of God was the house of David. And Jesus had to be born from the descendants of David because it was a covenant that God had made with David also. And of his descendants, one would come and lift up and govern for everyone. And the prophet Micah was speaking and had spoken in his environment. And the letter and the prophecy of Micah ran through the Jewish community in that time, 750 years before Jesus arrived on this earth. And it was known. But he came as an unknown one. He was expected, but he came as an unknown. In the synagogues, it spoke of the Messiah, the one that would be sent, the one that would arrive. And when he arrived... They did not notice the majority. He was unknown in the midst of them. And among the things that the Messiah came to accomplish was to be Savior. And that's something else that I want to speak of the Messiah, of the unknown one. The unknown was Messiah, but he was also Savior and is Savior. It's the one that is sent to save. And when we say Jesus is my Savior, we have to understand what are we speaking of? What is he saving us from? What did Jesus save us from? And then I'm going to speak of three things quickly. First, 
He saves us from the wrath of God. He saves us from the wrath of God. Say, Christ saves me from the wrath of God. And for that, the Lord Jesus, when you accept him as your savior, he's the chief, the boss, the one that is in charge. When you say savior, what is he saving you from? He saves you from the wrath of God. And here it says in 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul, in chapter 1 of the letter, it says in verses 9 and 10, the following. They themselves, speaking of those in Macedonia and Achaia, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, to serve the true and living God. Look at what it's saying there. It says that you know that what would they have said, how we spoke to you, and you converted from the idols, you converted to God to serve the true and living God. Then verse 10 says, and read it with me, please. And to wait. Are you with me? And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. From what? From the wrath to come. There's a wrath that is reserved for the sons of the devil. The Bible speaks that there's two types of children. The children of the devil and the children of God. And Scripture says that. Scripture speaks of those that do not accept Jesus and that live conformed to their own disorderly passions, to their own personal kingdom, and they don't allow Christ to reign. When someone allows Christ to reign in their heart, to be born in the manger of your heart, then Jesus saves you from the reserved wrath that is for those that are in equity. When we are now in Jesus, the wrath of God is not upon us because it was deposited on he who died on the cross of Calvary. Understand, the just for us, the unjust. And there we have seen it, and I've said it, and we'll say it. There in Eden, in the Garden of Eden, there was a act that happened. The wrath of God was going to fall on Adam and Eve, and his wrath was going to consume them. But God in his mercy saw some animals that were innocent. He killed them. He poured out their uh, blood. He took their skins, and he clothed Adam and Eve that thought with their religiosity, they would be able to save themselves, that they covered themselves with fig leaves. They thought that would save them to cover their shame, to cover their disconnection with God, to feel good. And it wasn't good enough. What did God do? His wrath, he deposited on an animal. And he clothed them. And the Bible says, if one is baptized in Christ, you are clothed in Christ. Amen? The wrath of God. Give the glory to God. Amen? The wrath of God does not fall on the children of God. Amen? Because the wrath of God was deposited on Christ Jesus on the cross of Calvary. How does God see the children, to his children, he looks at us through Jesus. He looks us through the cross of Calvary. He looks at us through him. Because if he looked at us directly without that filter, which is Jesus Christ, he would consume us immediately. But there's a wrath that is reserved, church. The days are short. In fact, every day that passes, it's one day shorter for you. And I think we all understand this. We say one year of life, but it's also one less year of life. The days are short. The days are bad. This land is bad. We live, glory to God, very good here in Central Florida. It's a refuge. It's a blessing. Oh, I don't know if it's because I appreciate it so much because I'm in Christ. I see everything so good. That happens to me. I feel super blessed, but I notice around me things that are damaged. And you know what? Above all, there has to be a Righteous retribution because God is love and mercy, but he's also of justice and judgment. And don't forget that, anyone. God fulfills both. Mercy, he extends it, but also holy judgment. He made judgment over some animals. In his sovereignty, they paid those who did not have to pay. He made judgment. Look that he made a judgment. But he extended a mercy, the same. He made Judgment over Jesus, but he extended mercy above all those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. The coming wrath is reserved for the sinners, for those that are we don't know when we're gonna die. And we should live every day, we should live every day like it's the last one. And I ask you, when you 
Leave your house. Command your life to the Lord when you're working. Give your heart and your life to those that say, I'm going to go, I'm going to buy, I'm going to go through. And they say, like James says, if God wants. If God wants, he lets you do all those things. Amen? Be careful with what you do. Be careful with what we do. Be careful with how we live. Let us not abuse the grace. Let us not abuse the work of Christ. Because it says that God cannot be mocked. Listen well. God cannot be mocked. There's a wrath that is reserved for those that work in iniquity. And I think that if you're a person in Christ, you walk in piety. Amen? So what else does he save us? He saves us from the power of sin. The Apostle Paul explained a portion, and you can read the context, but in chapter 8 of Romans, verse 2, he says the following. For the law of the spirit of life, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What does it say there? What did he free him from, according to Apostle Paul? From the law of sin and of death. When we have Christ, he frees us from the law of sin. Listen, when you when you don't have Christ, you're a, a slave to sin continually without Christ. You're in sin continually, continually. You do what's bad continually. And if one day you make an evaluation, you say, wow, I'm living disorderly because you're a slave to sin. But when you have Jesus Christ in your heart, I'll tell you one thing. Truthfully, if you really have them, the condition doesn't take the condition of sin governs you. You take authority over that sin. You take authority because Christ gives you that authority to say no to many things that before you did without Christ and without law. Are you with me? That is a very good topic because you could be saying, "Oh, I'm already condemned because I continue sinning." So that's a good word. So that you could be shaken, so you could be convicted and confronted and you analyze what the Holy Spirit is saying to you because there's something that God does in His mercy is that He speaks to you. He makes even donkeys to speak. And I'm not saying that I'm a donkey with this. <laughs> but He puts people to tell you things. Wherever you go through, wherever you live, that's where they tell you, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful. How many more signs are needed for one to understand that you're living in a way that's disorderly. When God gives you those signs, embrace the mercy because what he's doing is in his mercy, he's telling you something so that you put order in your life so that we don't be any more sins because Christ came to free us from the power of sin and one starts to live a beautiful life. The Christian life is not boring. Who told you that? The Christian life is an Success, you rejoice and enjoy everything. It's a glory that is great, that is continuous, my brothers and sisters. The life, the Christian life is in Christ. You have purpose, not only earthly, but you have it eternally. Your actions, your thoughts, all are directed by the goodness and what is good and pure and what is loving and what gives a good name, what is worthy of praise, as the word says. The Christian life, you enjoy a chorizo, a french fries, a soup, you enjoy what it is. And if you don't have, you, you say, oh, what a beautiful hunger that I have. <laughs> what a good diet that I'm in. And you say, I'm going to get thin. Oh, at least I'm going to lose some weight. Listen, when you're in Christ, you find everything good and everything difficult in life. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. And there, if you lose your girlfriend... You say, well, glory to God, they don't start, they stop hitting me in the face then. <laughs> it's of another place, not here. <laughs> the other thing that he saves us from the guilt of sin. What else does he save us from? And these days, those that are make the devotional, I remember the devotional, the devotional that we do is our daily bread. You're all invited to do it so we could learn in the same spirit and the same knowledge, amen? And there, in our daily bread, this topic was beautiful that came out. For Wednesday or Thursday, or sorry, Tuesday, and that he saves us from the guilt of sin. And first John, the Apostle John in his first letter, in chapter three, verses nineteen to twenty nineteen to twenty-one, it says, And by this we know that we are of what? The truth, and shall assure 
our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, the reader with me, please. God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Read 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. What a special text. But you have to unmask it. You have to unmask it. Verse 19. And by this we know that we are of the truth. In other words, you're going to notice in this moment, if you're in truth, and I ask you a question, who is the truth? Jesus, what did he say? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father if not through me. So he's saying there, John, and by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. But he says, how? So it says, for if our heart condemns us, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So what is John speaking there? He's speaking of the conscious. Because God, if he gave us in his mercy, is a portion that's called the conscious to the just and unjust, to the believer and the non-believer, to one race and other. All human beings, he gives something that's called a conscious. In his mercy, he puts us a device inside that makes us think and says from what's good and what's bad. Do you have it or not? Do you have a voice that's telling you from a child, yes or no, correct? That says that's bad. If it says that you, one who has a conscious, lift your hands so I can see. Of course, that's why you're not conscious. No, <laughs> but ready, we all understand that. So this is like an alarm. Look, that we didn't know about God. We didn't know habit of reading the word. We had not even confessed Christ. But analyze that we have what? We have a conscious. We have a conscious. The conscious is what is dictating what is between good and bad. What does John say? If we're in the truth, and allow me, if you already know God, he's saying that our heart will he's condemned, but greater is God that is in our heart. And what he's saying that even though our conscience wants to accuse us of something, but because who is greater and who is in us, from his forgiveness, I should grab onto and his mercy. I'm going to explain. And I have to read, read it again, once again. Verse 20. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things there. So if our heart condemns us, greater than our heart is who? God. When you have God in your heart, when you have Christ in your heart as your Lord and Savior, you have to learn to do the exercise of understanding that you have Christ in your heart. And if not, then you're going to be one of those believers that comes and every time is hating themselves, oh, my, my fault, my fault, my fault, my fault, and live the whole life condemned like if you didn't have Christ. There's people that come and confess their sins before God. They confess they, they, their offenses, their bad actions. Lord, I offended you. I offended my friend, my, my sister, my mother I offended. God forgives you and he gives you the conscience and that you go that you're forgiven and that you go and ask forgiveness to those that you damage. You go and ask because the Bible tells you, your conscience tells you that you have to ask for forgiveness. My sister, forgive me for what I did. And you cry and you cry. And that sister says, I forgive you. Look, that sister says, I forgive you, right? And when she says, I forgive you, that person says, thank you, but how do they continue living? Many times, living condemned. They already forgave them. God forgave them. The person that was offended forgave them, but their heart, how does it continue? Judging themselves, judging themselves. Are you with me? Are you understanding? What are you letting be greater? The conscious or Christ, who you accepted as your Lord and Savior. That's why one day, when someone doesn't forgive you and you've already asked for forgiveness, and you brought witnesses so that they could say, look, the person didn't forgive me the first time, but look, look, let's speak of this. I'm asking you forgiveness, and that person doesn't accept. Then you say, Lord, I did what I had to do. 
I was mistaken. I asked for forgiveness. I asked for forgiveness from you. I asked for forgiveness from the person. They don't want to accept the forgiveness or give me forgiveness, but you know what? I take your forgiveness and I receive it and I'm going to be free from now on of this that has been condemning me. Amen? Blessed be the Lord. There's people that are not going to forgive you. And there's things that your conscious are not going to want to let you forgive yourself. And your conscious will be convict you with something that you did when you were younger. When you did something in your youth or something that you did recently, your conscious is saying, and that conscious is used by Satan, the accuser. And that conscious is saying, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. And there, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. And what does the Apostle John say? That if we're in the truth and if we have Christ... Greater is he than our conscience because he already forgave us. And all I have to do is take that forgiveness. Are you with me? So then what does the Lord save me? The Savior rejected in that hotel. He saves us from the wrath of God, from the power of sin, and from the guilt of sin. Amen. I want to speak of, of the king that is misunderstood. The king that is misunderstood. The problem of the centuries was and will be the name of Jesus. Listen well. The problem of all civilizations from 2,000 years ago is the name of Jesus. What are they going to do with Jesus? How are you going to treat Jesus? That was the dilemma of the centuries and of the ages, and that will be the dilemma of the ages. Jesus is the Messiah that is sent. Jesus is he which is God and Jesus is God who became the, I'm sorry the word that became flesh you have to make a determination or decision what you're going to do with Jesus because every human being will decide he came in a time he came to his own and his own did not receive him 2,000 years ago or 2,000 years after many have not known him and they continue denying him others Jesus presents himself as Lord and Savior, mercy extends, and they reject him. Others have him, they live with him, and love with him, and then in a moment or another, they stop loving Jesus, and they get into other concepts, and other philosophies, and in different things that we have said here. We've said, what are you going to do with Jesus? Because when Mary came with him in the womb, they did not recognize him as such. They did not understand of the prophecy in that moment. What are you going to do with Jesus? Allow me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 25 to 29, it says the following. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame who? The wise and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And read verse 28 and 29 with me. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Why am I citing this text? Because we're speaking of the one that's misunderstood. Christ that's misunderstood. When Jesus comes, he's the son of God. He's the Messiah, the one that has sent the anointed, the eternal God, the word that became flesh. He is not understood as such 2,000 years ago. They had problems in that civilization with Jesus. They accused him of demons. They said that, imagine, they said that he was demon-possessed in his own community. He was, he was not understood. He was misunderstood. A thousand years the same and today is the same. What are you going to do with Jesus? Let me say this, because a man named Nicodemus that called Jesus rabbi, he says an elegant word. And Jesus had a dialogue with him. He didn't say, you're the son of God, but he called him how? He called him teacher. Many people think that Jesus is a teacher, and he was, but he's more than a teacher. I think he's the teacher of teachers, amen? Others, a young, rich man, what did he say? A good teacher. He didn't say Lord. He didn't say God. How did he call him? Good teacher. He had to deal with Jesus in the moment that he met him. 
How do I get to Jesus? So much as Nicodemus, just like the rich young man. Who do I believe is Jesus? Then who is this Jesus? Others have called him a great philosopher. Others have called him a great leader. In the history of humankind, and even in political world situations, some socialists have used the, to call him the great revolutionary. And they're to use that to as an excuse to make revolutions. But Mark speaks of a man called Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, that I think that you know this man. He says that Bartimaeus was along the path and he heard that Jesus was passing. Pay attention. He heard that Jesus was passing. He was blind, yes, but not misunderstood. When he heard that Jesus was passing and the multitude, the man yelled, Jesus! How did he say? Son of David! Here's a power in this. Jesus, of da son of David, have mercy on me. And the people cried to him, shh. And in a greater voice, he started to say again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And immediately, Jesus said, bring him. Why did Jesus call for him? Because this man was blind, yes, but was a man that knew the prophecy and assuredly he was understood of what Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, when Zacharias was no longer mute, when John the Baptist is born, Zacharias starts to speak and when he started to speak, he started to prophesy and say something about Jesus and say something about John the Baptist, saying that John was going to be one that would prepare the way, but he was speaking of Jesus, that Jesus was of the lineage of David, the Savior, the sent one, the one that was going to bring peace to Israel. He, that blind one, he was very familiar with what Micah wrote many years ago, speaking of the lineage of David, and with what Zacharias, in his historical context, had spoken recently of. So when he hears that Jesus is passing, how does he call him? By his title, Son of David. He recognized him by the lineage, Son of David. He understood that he was the promise of God, the Son of David, from the descendants of the house of David, from the descendants of Bethlehem, where there will be one that is going to be born and when he passed by, he was blind, but foolish he was not. He understood in his heart. And he was the one that made Jesus stop. What is it that you want? That I gave my sight. And he even said, your faith has saved you. He healed him of his eyes, but he said, your faith. Why did he say that? Because the man recognized the lineage. What are you going to do before the idea or the name of Jesus Christ? What are you going to do today with that? And I ask myself, what are you going to do tomorrow? Because all of us that are here, we're vulnerable to change the doctrine. We're vulnerable to leave things, the grace of Jesus, to get into the rudiment of the law, to get into the rituals. If it was because of the rituals, then all of us that are here, we're here disqualified. Look at this temple. This, doesn't, this temple doesn't fulfill the characteristics of a synagogue. That's why there's a God that they would let the Solomon Temple be destroyed so that the idolatry of the Jewish people would stop and it still is not stopped because they still have idolatrous customs. They still idolize certain things. No, my beloved brother and sister, the grace, the grace covered Paul and Silas in a jail. There was no synagogue there. There was no rituals there. There was nothing there. There was one hallelujah and glory to God and the chains broke. The grace took a man in a path. He wasn't in a synagogue. He wasn't on a Sabbath and nothing. He only said, this is son of David. And there he healed him. They are right in the spot. Are you with me? This is a construction of men and women that are very nice. But this is not God. God does not subject himself to a space or a time. Never put God in a time because all the time is of God. Put that in your heart. All the time belongs to God. 
And uh, forgive me that I'm so emotional. What are you going to do with Jesus? Because you could believe, but what are you going to believe tomorrow? Do you think that Paul didn't preach to his whole churches and then sending letters to them? Who made you change your doctrine, he says. You started by grace and you finished by the law, he said. You started by the grace and then you consider and guarding and, and, and keeping festive days. But how's that? He's saying to them, who persuaded you? That is not of God, he said to them. What are you going to do with Jesus today? Because today you could believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and tomorrow you could think that it was a, he was a great prophet, and that you need something greater than Jesus, or a practice that is greater than to worship Jesus. All the centuries have had a problem with the name of Jesus. All civilizations have had a problem in the end. In his environment of Jesus, his family rejected him, analyzed. When Jesus arrived, he had problems on this earth, his arrival. This earth did not receive him. In the hotel, there was no space for him. Go to a manger. And that's where I use this text. That he says that the vile, you know why? And the despised, because God uses whoever he wants to, to speak of his glory, and he's been doing it. But also, he used a manger that was not appreciated to speak of the glory of heaven, if in a hotel there was no space for Jesus, in a major that was unappreciative, yes, there's space for Jesus, and he could do as he wants. Don't be strange that God will take from the most vile, make the greatest miracle, because of something that God has, is that he makes miracles, signs, and wonders. Christ, Christ can do something great with you, and can use you in a level that you don't even know what he could do with you. That man was not just any blind man. That was a man that was understood. The disciples of Jesus believed. Others did not believe. Some knew and some wanted to follow by human conviction. If you give me, I follow you. If you allow me to, play, to bury my dead first, then I follow you with conditions. You can never serve Jesus with conditions. You either surrender everything or nothing. That it is with the Lord Jesus. Give him your heart. Amen? The rejected one. Because he was not understood and he was rejected. And with this I come touching on this topic that in the hotel there was no room for him. But they opened up a manger. In the hearts of the people, as I say, your brothers and sisters, look, that's where the famous word of Jesus that no one is, a prophet in their own home. Why did Jesus say that? Because he was with his family, his brothers and sisters, and his own family would say, oh, this guy. I'm paraphrasing this in my uh, American version. Oh, this man is not of God. If you're a son of God, then go do the works. Go, show yourself. Someone that says that comes from God does things in public. Look at what his brothers would say. Wow, we doubt of this guy. We doubt of this guy. In his own house, they rejected and denied him. They denied him. His own race denied him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, the word of God says. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. The apostles received him. Bartimaeus received him. And I ask you, have you received Christ? Have you received him? Are you going to receive him? Do you want to receive him? Are you thinking yes or no? Have you received Jesus yet as your only Lord and Savior? Or are you thinking about it? Don't think too long. Don't think too long. Today is the chance. Today is the opportunity to receive Jesus in your heart as your Lord and Savior. If you're thinking of receiving Jesus Christ in a day, don't think about it a lot. Don't think about it for a lot. Perhaps maybe there's not another day. Today is the good day. Today is the to receive Jesus in your heart as your only Lord and Savior. Amen? Are you with me? Blessed be the Lord. Let me conclude. Each of us, so you could understand. Please place that image again on the screen. 
remember what is the corridor in the middle, what you see on those tiles that are signatures of famous people in that hotel uh, in Jerusalem, King David Hotel in Jerusalem. Each one of us represent a hotel. Analyze. Each one of you and myself, we're a hotel. And in that hotel, we have a lot of rooms. And in the hotel, we let a lot of people stay. We lodge a lot of people. We have a room for our mothers. We have a room for our fathers. We have a room for children. We have a room for brothers and sisters. We have rooms for friends. Right? We have rooms for acquaintances that are not friends, but we have them there in the heart. We have rooms for people that are there permanently, and we have room for people that are transitory. Analyze that in your heart, in your hotel, people come in and people leave. Is it true or not? But analyze that there's some that are there all the time. Is it true or not? In my heart, I have some that are present all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time, like you. But I ask you this. Is there room for the king? Is there a room for the king? And remember that the rooms that you have there one day you make the decision to take one of them out. When you want to take them out, you take them out. Is that true or not? Lift your hands if it's true. Tell, raise your hand if you take them out or not. You take them out. That person no longer represents what they represented. That person is not worthy to be in my heart. Have you done those things as a human being? And what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? Did you give him the best room? And now you're putting to compare doctrines? To compare concepts? To believe that there's something greater than the name that is above all names? And taking him from place to place and in the end is then not to take him out of the hotel of your heart. My reflection in this morning Allow him the best tiling of your heart. There, put in your hotel, and it says, Jesus. Jesus, the son of the living God. Jesus. Jesus, the way. Jesus, the truth. Jesus, the life. Jesus, Alpha. Jesus, Omega. Jesus, the beginning. Jesus, the end. Jesus, bread of life. Jesus. The bright and morning star. Jesus. The rose of Sharon. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Mark it very well in your heart. Because if you don't mark it well in your heart, the word of God says that the enemy is astute to come and steal what is taught in your heart. Please close your eyes. Is there anyone here that wants to give their heart to Jesus? If you have not done it and say today, today I surrender my heart because I have not done it. I want you to enter into my heart. I want you to be my special invited guest from now and ever more. If one has not accepted Jesus, you could do it today, lifting your hands where you are. And as I've always said, those that are watching, you can let me know in the comments. And now I ask that you please stand. A room for the king. The uh, misunderstood, then now he is understood as the Messiah. As the Savior, the one that saves you from the wrath of God, from the sin from the guilt of sin, the one that was not understood is now understood then by you. He's now accepted by you as the son of God, not a great teacher or great philosopher, not a great idea of the 21st century to follow, no. Today he's known by you as the son of God, the one that's worthy of praise and worship. The one that I am clothed of, and because I'm clothed of, 
the grace of God is upon me and I have no longer any guilt. I have grace. And today I accept it. I accept him. I don't know if there's someone here. I want to ask this question that feels that they have Jesus but that you have not given him all the value he deserves that perhaps you feel that maybe you've lost a little value in him. Close your eyes, please. If there's someone here that says, I need to affirm myself in the faith that's in Jesus. I want to assure myself in that faith. I invite you to please pass to the altar. If there's someone here that says, I want to affirm myself in the faith, in my Jesus. I want you to pray for me because I don't want to move from this. That they don't come and convince me of anything or try to convince me of anything from the absolute truth that Jesus is my Savior. There's some brothers and sisters here ready to pray for you who wants to say, Lord, I want to affirm myself in you. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Come. Come and pass to them so that they could pray for you. Amen? Let us worship. The altar is open for those that want to affirm their faith in Jesus. Those that feel weak in their faith. Those that are stumbling in their faith. Those that are stumbling in life. Come, come. Don't stay there. Run to the altar. Run to the altar. There's a blessing here for you. Glory to God. Glory to God. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. That is why God brought you here this morning. If he brought you to listen to this portion, it's for a reason. So that today you give the eminence to the name and that it is there and ratify your faith in him that nothing will move you. Please lift your hands there, church. Good God, and this morning, we give you thanks. And in our hotel, Lord, in our life, if there, yes, there is a place there for you, and you're not there as an unknown, we know who you are as the Son of God, Jesus Christ, as the one that sent, as the Messiah, as the one that was announced. We acknowledge you as the one that saves us of sin from the coming wrath who saves us from the condemnation of our mind. We acknowledge and recognize you as our only Lord and Savior. And we know, Jesus, as your word says, that away from you there's no one that saves. And in this time, in this December, where many celebrate you without knowing you, we celebrate you because we know you. You, yours is Christmas, yours is December, yours is January. Every day of the year is yours. Yours is the glory, the honor, and the praise. In your name we pray. And the church of the Lord says, Amen. Give it to him greatly for he who lives forever. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We invite you to look for us in the social networks such as Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Search under the name Dios de Pactos Florida. We hope this message has edified you. And please share with others. Have a wonderful day.